Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am Len, I am your host for this week, and we are joined by our good friend, freelance writer John Bolding. Howdy, howdy. As well as our two special guests, uh, we have the CEO and creative director of Mohawk Games, Layla Johnson. Hey. hey. And design director, Soren Johnson. Hey, how's it going? M- might have heard of might have heard of them uh, if you listen to this show <laughs> May, just maybe um and uh we're here to talk about uh old worlds and uh the upcoming steam release also some upcoming uh dlc that's going to be happening um but uh just to start out um you know how has sort of i guess the first year of old world uh been for you guys are you pretty happy with how it's turned out so far uh yeah yeah i mean we've been really pleased with how people have received it you know kind of the things that we the things that we wanted to do with the game uh people have responded to well you know like people really enjoy the order system you know for example they feel like it really changes how they're able to play a 4x game um the characters have have also uh, worked out well like um uh you know people like the the stories that evolve you know something that's that's a lot harder to pull off in a game that has like the, the scope of of Civ. I'm sure the word <clears throat> I'm sure that Civ is going to come up a few times today. But um, you know, this is <laughs> I don't know why this that is would something happen. that <laughs> this is something where because we have a human time scale, you know, we're able to tell stories that I think just it just wouldn't make make sense in in that in that format. And um, you know, I think actually the to me the big the thing I'm most proud of is is actually that like the multiplayer community plays with characters on. We actually kind of tied ourselves up in knots a little bit, trying to make sure that the game would still work if you turn characters off entirely. So you could pl- you can play the game without characters or events or families or whatever because we figured people doing multiplayer would want like the pure, you know, no no RNG uh, a game. But for the most part, they all they all want to play with characters because they think it just makes the game more fun. It feels very organic since because we, we launched on early access. So we kind of knew that people are receiving it well. You know, I just I just don't know how people who just kind of do not have early access feel because they just wait for the launch to start kind of noticing what what the game and feeling how the game is doing. So it feels like we've we've been out for for quite a while and it's been very busy. Yep. Yeah, that's really interesting to me that you mentioned sort of the multiplayer crew, uh, because I know, you know, I have some friends who play like Civ multiplayer who get like really into the 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 nitty gritty of it and uh to hear that they're they're sort of interacting with this character system um what do you think like what do you think it is about how characters work in old world that allows them to still kind of mesh with that more like hardcore uh you know to to quote some strategy designer uh the tendency to even optimize the fun out of a game uh sort of play style that you see from like the really really like hardcore deity level competitive uh 4x players sure yeah um so i think there's a pretty good answer to this actually in that um so you could kind of look at if you try to look at characters in the abstract like forget they're actually about people just look at it purely and like imagine it was an abstract you know chess type game you know what what the characters actually bring to the game and the nice thing that they bring is that the game the game changes like it it adds 
you know, variation, but, but on top of that, it lets you give the player powers and then take those powers away. Right. I think that's something that uh, 4X games have always kind of struggled with, right. That there's this big snowballing problem, right. And 4X games will always have like a snowball thing. Like that's just always, that's just kind of like inherent, but uh, when you have characters who come up, come along and you have like this really, you know, really wise leader or you have this, this, you know, uh, tactician leader who's got all these amazing, uh, you know, traits that, that lets them, you know, fight battles or you have a hero leader so you can launch offensives or uh, you can have, you know, a diplomat leader that lets you, uh, what is it, just, or is it? Or is it orator, the one that lets you buy uh, mercenaries, turn you know, turn tribal units into mercenaries. Um, you know, these these powers can kind of like come and go and change the way the game feels, and it doesn't it doesn't feel arbitrary to the player that we're taking these powers away from you and replacing them with a different one because it's just natural, right? Like your leader died, and now you have a new leader, right? Like it's a very it's a very straightforward thing. So um, I think that's one of the big positives that people are reacting to that. You know, the Forex games have just this, this huge momentum once they get rolling, right? Like the game is going to go this one direction. And so anything you can do that kind of can, can change that momentum, even if it isn't necessarily like you're now failing, it's more like, well, you're now maybe succeeding, but you're doing it in some different way, right? Like, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, John, where have you kind of... Um ended up in in your uh in your uh, relationship with old world over the uh early access period i was really pleased with old world I, I think anyone who listened to our first podcast on it can remember that uh specifically i i loved the character system for what at the time um felt like arbitrary limitations but over time i've decided is just a a sort of natural variation right and i think that's that's probably why the multiplayer players like it too is that the the different kinds of leader add a a flavor to each time you play a given civilization in old world right like you may be playing rome and you think you're going to be the coolest uh conquerors in the world but like maybe maybe a a good conqueror never really shows up right in your, in your options uh, as, as of a leader during your play period for this game. Um, And so you become more of a sort of diplomat uh, barbarian crushing uh, type. And I find that, that the way old world handles its time scale is really, I wouldn't have said it's a great idea for a, for a Civ style or a uh, hex-based, tile-based 4X, but it actually ends up being really approachable, uh, I think, for a lot of players. Yeah, and actually one of the things we're, we're trying out with the, um, with the, the new DLC is, um, you know, it's, it, you know, one of the parts of it is the, the Greek campaign. And, you know, we do, we're doing six scenarios, which go from... Um, you know, marathon all the way to, you know, when Alexander's empire falls apart. Um, And so we're like, well, since we have all these characters now, let's try allowing people to start their, their nations at different points. Right. So you can start with different, different characters as their leader. Now, like you can start with an older Alexander, or you can start with Leonidas, or you can start with, 
uh, I'm actually, we were just working on this feature features. So I don't remember the details, but one of them might be Pericles, you know, someone like that, right? Like, so you can start with, with different leaders from the same point from the same, you know, from different leaders with the same nation. Right. And that's, that's another thing that adds great variability, like a multiplayer for the most part, they play with like randomized leaders, right? So you start with Rome, but you might end up with the diplomat leader, you know, instead. Um, and that, yeah, it's, you know, it really changes the shape of the game. Yeah, I've always been a, a fan of the scenarios um, in in like Civ 4 and 5. I spent maybe as much time playing both the official scenarios and the uh, the fan made some fan made scenarios as as the actual game. Um, in as I guess in sort in, in some ways, Old World sort of feels like a huge, like mega expanded Civ scenario. So I'm curious what uh, made you guys think uh, for the first DLC uh, to do it as a scenario pack. And, uh, you know, why did you choose the setting and the uh, characters that you did? Um, so I, I, I think that um, you know, it's interesting. I never really thought of Old World in terms of like sort of like one giant, <laughs> one giant scenario. I mean, that it sort of makes sense. But I think that it means that the game is going to be really well suited for scenarios going forward, because basically any time you start start game of old world it could be just like a game from a specific slice of time right like the the mm-hmm. way a certain family tree is set up and a certain number of characters in your court with a certain number of traits right like that's already going to lead to a different experience right so that's already kind of getting you halfway there with a scenario um and we've also um we've also really built the game with modding in mind from the very beginning so the scenarios in a lot of ways are just an, an extension of that. Um, I don't know if you either, either of you, either of you two tried the um, uh, Carthage campaign that, that came with the game, but I think I think that that was kind of like our, our first stab at it. Um, you know, telling the the uh, story of the uh, Punic Wars from the perspective of Carthage instead of Rome, um, and you know they're they leverage um, both the like the event system and the essentially the ambition system, you know, really successfully so that, you know, the events just give a lot of um, tools to the designers that uh, I don't think we had with with the Civ games, um, you know, where you can give player choices uh, in the scenario and like in the um in the fourth scenario in the, the Greek campaign, it's it's actually about uh, what's going on in Greece while Alexander is trapezing through, uh, you know, uh, Anatolia and Persia and, and whatever. Um, so it's just played from the perspective of, of Olympias trying to keep uh, keep, you know, uh, keep everything uh, uh, running well back back home at, at Greece. And so uh, it's, it's, it's handled almost entirely through through just through events. We tried early on when we were working on the narrative design and character design and ornation design. Um, we cared. I'm. I, I'm. I was the head writer by accident because I we couldn't hire we couldn't hire writers to start writing uh, when we lost publisher and uh, we needed events. So I started writing and, you know, until we found some people to join who can write better. Um, but the, I remember wanting to have more women leaders and I did not want Alexander to be the leader of, of Greece. So I rolled it back to Philip, his father. 
And while we were digging, it was it was very clear that everyone hated Olympias, and it really, really bothered me because she, you know Alexander was was not great the way we look at greatness today. You know, he was he was a murderer. He was insane. Um, he had lots of issues, and he killed a lot of people unnecessarily. And that made me kind of start looking at Olympias differently. And while also building the, the nations for Greece and, and Rome, I realized we have so much knowledge about these two nations. So we wanted to prioritize other nations. And I'm very glad that we started with Carthage because um, not a lot of people know about the other civilizations. Um, and, you know, me being Phoenician, we had a lot of conversation in the house of Lebanese about like, why, why don't we start with Phoenicians instead of Car Carthage as a nation? Like, why don't we do Phoenicia. And the reason for that is we we wanted to migrate a little bit towards North African nations and start building on, on um, parts of the world that aren't as represented in games. So we're always trying to make um, make uh, representation without without jeopardizing on gameplay, but just kind of keeping that in mind, a different approach. So when we create scenarios and we, when we create DLCs, we want to flip the table or we want to um, play as the other nation that is being conquered. And I think that this is going to be something we're going to continue with. This is a beat we, we like. Uh, we try to approach it from the other side as well. The reason why we started with, with a Greek campaign and a Carthage campaign is also because we are getting in touch with designers from nations we'd like to build DLCs around. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it's no secret we want to work with, for example, Meg Giants to work on uh, a DLC that is set in India. We're working with people from certain parts of the world to create DLCs that are closer to that part of the world. Um, I'm working on the rise of the Arabs and I'm having horrible experience doing this. <laughs> so well, it's tricky. It's, uh, it's very tricky. Yeah. I, so, I want to say, I'm sure there will be uh, Alexander stands in shambles, but I'm, I'm very much on board with the, <laughs> even if you look at it just from what he accomplished militarily, he inherited his, his daddy's overpowered army and, formed an empire that lasted almost 10 years after his death. Uh, <laughs> true, so true. All my, all my yeah. homies hate Alexander the Great. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, he destroyed the Persian Empire, burned it down, and for what, really? Like, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, what's the whole yeah. point of this? Yeah. yeah. And, and there are theories out there that say that he is actually involved in the assassination of his dad, so... Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the main yeah. issues in the uh, Olympias Kent the Olympias scenario is there's kind of like a, a bunch of events about you know do you want to try to figure out who killed Philip or do you want to frame someone it's almost a bit like an RPG yeah um, uh, it has that type of level of story when, when so. I was writing when I was writing events because we start the bio with with a particular character and their family and a set of events that are specific to the nation. So I had like uh, the, um, the links for the event, they had three different options because everyone wanted to kill Philip. I mean, the Athenians hated him. The Persians hated him, his son and his wife and his lover hated him. So there were lots of people who wanted him dead. So it could be really anybody and we won't be really wrong about it. So we wrote events that result in one or the other 
um, type of um, yeah outcome. Yeah, everybody I, wants I, I, to kill Philip. Just it really feels like a like a black comedy <laughs> waiting to happen, like a Coen Brothers yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. who killed him first? Right? Wait, I was I was on my way to kill him. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see that done in like a, a Death of Stalin style. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> theory oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I uh, yeah. I, I remember. I think I talked about it in my review. But the first game I played as Macedonia, Alexander was blinded at like a young age and ended up just being okay. like a complete fail son or something. So I, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how those historical characters can take very different paths uh, in in every yep. game you play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, John, I know you told me before the show that you had a, a lot of questions. I wanted to give you a chance to answer that, and then maybe we can uh, loop back around to uh, the other component of this DLC. Well, uh, as far as events and and scenarios go, what are you imagining? How how do you think players will engage with events and scenarios? Uh, the the sort of broader historical situations do you feel like they're going to play a round of the game as a 4x to learn how it works and then they're going to move into the scenarios or do you imagine that these are something that someone could use because they're more interested in history and that's how they would want to engage with old world overall um well i mean i hope i hope they uh you know, I hope they come to the place that, that fits them the most. There's there's a certain percentage of players that always come to the game and they want to um, they want to play on the real map immediately, right? Um, and it's not it's not a large percentage, but it's like maybe ten or twenty percent that they you know they just they just want to play on the you know it's the Earth map for Civ, but in our case it's like the the wider Mediterranean map. Um, and uh, actually, I guess we can we can sort of jump ahead of ourselves a little bit here because it kind of ties in. Uh, the other half of the DLC is the the Hittites. We're adding um, uh, an eighth nation to the game, um, and there's a lot of re- good reasons to add the Hittites. Um, but one one definitely good one is is that if you play on the the Mediterranean map, there's there's like a there's a big empty spot <laughs> on the map <laughs> right at Anatolia. And um, it was clear. Yeah, it was clear. It was like, wow, you know, this 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 map would work a lot better if there was someone here. So uh, Greece and Rome got a little more were a little more threatened. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people who come to it for that. I, I think there are people who would be more excited about playing the scenarios. And I think there's it's a bit of a marketing challenge to let them know that, like, like no, really, like the scenarios we've put a ton of work into these. These are these are really interesting, and and they're also kind of uh, dynamic. Um, like especially the Carthage one is is really built in mind that you know the the games the the, the game's regular event system runs at the same time as the scenario event, events do. So um, you know I don't know how many Civ um, type scenarios you've played, but. To, Generally speaking, you play them once and you've kind of seen what what there is, right? Because they have kind of a sort of a clockwork pattern to them. And maybe you didn't do well enough, so you have to kind of like do it again. But um, but for, you know, for with with Old World, because you have the uh, the regular event system running in the background, like things can go off in a completely different direction than than you expected. It's it's a bit of a QA challenge, um, but so far it seems like it's been holding up pretty well. Yeah, how... Have you seen scenarios where like uh as someone's playing through it or you know you're you're playing through it for QA, you end up with the like, oh well, my really important heir is 
blind now and has been, you know, kicked in the head by a donkey or what have you, uh, yeah. and can no longer function. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, uh, you know, we were kind of we were joking about this earlier, but like we definitely saw like in some of the the testing of of Greece that like Olympias would kill Philip too early. Yeah, <laughs> like, Olympias. Like she would, <laughs> she would kill her just normally the way the game normally works, right? right? Not the way it's supposed to. She's he's supposed to get killed. They're like, oh well, that, you know, okay, that's unfortunate. So we had to add some extra, uh, basically some extra variables and, yeah. and flags and stuff for characters. Yeah, in just for the scenarios, these would never apply to the main main game. Um, just just for these very specific things. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the phrase of like plot armor, right? right. For for various mm-hmm. shows and essentially we've had to we had to add plot armor for certain characters otherwise <laughs> you know the scenarios will sort of just fall apart yeah so what is uh what is the identity of uh the hittites can you tell us anything about like their their major families and how they play differently from the existing civilizations so i can talk a little bit about the background we're starting with uh Hattusili and uh Hattusili, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the Hittites are very are a, civil, are a civilization that was brought to us very recently, up until probably a century ago, like 100 years plus. We always thought the Hittites didn't really exist and they were made up. So uh, it was hard to get information on the Hittites. So I had some Turkish friends and I went and talked to them some just to kind of make sure that I'm going about it, you know, research wise in the the right direction. So we start with him and we realize that he actually has a very interesting life. I mean, all of the leaders have a very interesting life. And and when we are creating a leader for a nation, we want them to have a very juicy family tree. And with Hattusili, um, what I found out is that uh, so he he was married to multiple women, or he had multiple women in his life with with children. Uh, however, he refused to let his heir take the throne, and he gave the throne to his grandchild because right before his death, he got injured and realized that it was a plot set by his wife. I'm putting wife into you know quote unquote, and his heir. So he deprived him from the throne. So narratively speaking, we have a very good story that works with the way the mechanics and old world for family trees work. Um, And all we had to do is kind of basically look up and research what are elite units, what is specific to the nation, what were they good at, which is diplomacy, what kind of gods they had. So we build the shrines and everything else just kind of, it's a list of things to make the Hittites uh, comparable and, you know, at the same weight as all of the other civilizations. So I answered the yeah. the narrative side from a, of things. <laughs> yeah, from a mechanical point of view, you know, we kind of looked at what I mean. The Hittites are are interesting, and just in terms of how little we do know about them, right? Like you mm-hmm. know, as Layla mentioned, like we, you know, it was very confusing whether these people really existed or not, and you know, there were theories, and you know, and then once once they're actually discovered, then we learned some stuff. But obviously, we know. You know, there's no compare. It's no comparison. We know way less about the Hittites than all of the other nations in the game. Um, but there are some things we do. They have. A, they had a very interesting sort of legal system, um, and they had. I wouldn't necessarily say they had a constitution as we would think of it, but it was a bit less of a you know pure auto 
autocratic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, king kingship type thing. And so they they start with some extra civics in every city, similar to how you know Rome starts with extra training in all of their cities. Um, they had the three man chariot, which was right. very interesting. We found that out. Yeah, that's their unique unit, the three man chariot. So it's basically a chariot with some extra defense because essentially they could have a, an extra. An extra person on board who could carry a shield. Yeah, it definitely um, made a very good conversation with with our uh, art team because they're like, we don't want to add a third person. It will look crowded <laughs> on a tile. And I'm like, it will no longer be the three-man chariot. <laughs> <laughs> right, I know. You got to find a place for the third. I don't care if you stick him under the, under the yeah, chariot. Under the like, horse. Just somewhere. Um, yeah, this is funny. Every every Civ-style game I've worked on has always had an issue with chariots where they're just too big. They're so long. Like, it's, yeah. it's so hard to get them yeah. on the tile. And, like, it's, it's, it's always awkward. Um, so, yeah, they have that. They... Um, they, 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 they're nor there. There was an issue. They seem to have been pretty big deforesters. <laughs> like they really, they really chopped a lot of stuff down uh, across uh, Asia Minor. And I don't know. So I don't know how you could possibly model that in a game where you can chop down all the forests in Asia Minor. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we have all basically all of their units can chop for us. You know, like in uh, in you know, normally it's just the workers, so you can have everyone. So if you really want to get rid of your forests, you know, there, 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 thing. Of course, in old world, you you the way it works is you can half chop a forest, right? You can chop it down, mm-hmm. then it can actually grow back. So you know, you can, I, I love these. You can bits. choose that if you when, want. When when we find these bits in history, mechanizing history becomes like I don't know, creating art. Right. And it's it's thrilling, it's exciting because you know that's the bit I love about creating old world or working on old world uh, and anything really. It's just figuring out the balance or figuring out a way to mechanize history, right. and it's kind of cool. Yeah, and they they mass they were able to master mobility even in terrain that was very hilly and rugged. So we also have it so that hills don't don't give an extra movement cost. They're able to move across hills as fast as anyone else would be able to move across open terrain. So I think that's the, I think those are their, the, all of their sort of main abilities. Yeah. I think the hardest part was, so for every nation, we have a wander and we have like a building or creating the art for the leader. We have to have like a bit of a background. It was hard for the Hittites because we don't have a, a visual uh, like a visual building or something. We know like the Egyptians have the pyramids. We, we have an idea. Some people tried to, to recreate uh, the hanging gardens. We have visual references, even if some of these wonders do not exist anymore. With the Hittites, it was very difficult. So I had to sit down, um, with my team. So I also function as a 2D art director. So the paintings that you see, are like because we have to research them and put them together and look for colors and talk to people who know about these things. So when we were creating the event art for the Hittites, it was really tough because we had to make up the visuals. Uh, there aren't enough pieces around because the Hittites, again, they're recent. Not a lot of people have addressed them, so we don't have a lot of references. So I had to go back and and try to recreate the art for the Hittite. And for this, I have to thank Luis. If you're listening, thank you for putting up with all of the craziness, creating paintings for the Hittites. Yeah. So you're mentioning earlier, um, sort of wanting to bring uh, more stuff that's 
outside of sort of the traditional Western canon of, you know, Greece and Rome into uh, into the picture, which I think uh, I've seen other strategy games, other historical strategy games. I mean, Imperator Rome being a big recent one that have like sort of struggled with, especially if you go back that far to like the ancient and classical era, um, people just don't don't know a lot about it. They don't have like a lot of pre-existing emotional connection to uh, things the way they might with like a game set in the early modern period where it's like, OK, this is like the direct predecessor to the nation I live in uh, now. I mean, obviously, you know, most people know about Egypt and they know about ancient Greece, at least to some extent. Um, how do you go about, I guess, sort of introducing, you know, someone like the the Phoenicians or the Hittites or you mentioned India as well and and sort of bringing that to these people that, that might not have had as much of an education in who these people are or what they were about um, and uh, making that sort of a, uh, exciting and uh, and uh, encouraging them to learn more. Uh, there are so there's one obstacle that we can, you know, overcome and it's like lack of information. So you start giving information. And there is another obstacle, which is way harder. And if it's existing information that is wrong. So there's underrepresentation and there's misrepresentation. So when we deal with uh, the culture, like, for example, something in India happening, we just start filling information about that part of the world, uh, making sure that we spell the name that is closest to the way people in India uh, you know, uh, pronounce it, which is another thing we had to deal with, you know, with old world. It's like, what name are we going to adopt? Egypt isn't called Egypt. It's called Musr. So what do we do? Um, now there are things that we just had to go with because we're already introducing a lot more. So we had to kind of choose a balanced version to offer to the player. But if I were to call all the shots on how we're going to approach the next DLC, I'll just absolutely give it like an immersive feeling um, when we deal with new cultures. Um, the The issue that I worry about the most isn't, um, isn't introducing new things that people do not know to the player and hopefully they'll catch, you know, they'll catch on and they'll enjoy it. And that's, that's not what worries me. What worries me is when we deal with something, for example, like the Arabs. And the Arabs in the games industry aren't just underrepresented. They're also misrepresented. Think of any game that has Arabs in it. It's usually a game that deals with Arabs as something you shoot at. They're the terrorists. Now, imagine how many people have played these games and how hard it is going to introduce to them that, wait a second, actually, the Arabs have a lot to give. Let me just tell you about these poets. Let me tell you about, you know, these peaceful thinkers. Let me tell you about the Sufis. Let me tell you about the music. Let me tell you about the culture. You're going to have to erase some things and replace them slowly, and you have to tread lightly. So this is more of a of a challenge that we are going to face than the challenge of introducing a new cultures from a lack of representation or underrepresentation. So we have we have lots of challenges, but we also have a lot of faith. Um, so hopefully, yeah. hopefully we'll 
will be able to to nail that balance well. I think we have the advantage that from a from a gameplay point of view, like we're starting with the the part <laughs> bluntly, like the part of the Civ game everyone loves to play the most, right? Where it starts out simple, you're founding your first city, you're expanding from there. So you know, it's 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 not like you know you're you're being forced to um, you know learn a whole bunch of proper nouns that you're not you're not comfortable with or familiar with, right? Like it's it's always like this 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 nice situation. I, I you know I don't know if we've you know, like it might be worth talking about, like even the way we we frame the reg the regular game, sort of the 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 I've never even come up with a good name for it, <laughs> the non you know the non scripted game, which is that the idea is you're you're like a new nation in an old world, right? That you start off with you know your your first settler, but there's actually this world that already exists around you, right? And when you're going to meet when you're going to meet the Persians or you're going to meet the the Egyptians, like they they've been there probably for hundreds of years mm -hmm. and they have a bunch of cities, and you're you're kind of like carving, trying to carve out your new space for you. But but the part I'm trying to get at is you know your the players can be eased into it pretty pretty slowly, and so I think that I think they'll be more you know, more in tune with, with being able to, you know, play, play something they're not as familiar with. I mean, also people who play our games have played other games that are similar to ours. So they're not absolutely new to the cultures and the information and the history that we are offering them. We're just basically framing it differently. Um, yeah. Yeah. Presenting it differently. It is a weird kind of thing. Like you get, you know, we'll see, definitely you'll see some people react to the game being like, Oh, I don't know. I really want to play a game about all of world history. Right. You know, and to some extent that's, yeah, that's fine. Right. Like that's, you know, we'll never, we, we didn't, we didn't want to make a game that was trying to do that, do that again. Um, but I am trying to hopefully get the point across that to people that from like a, from a gameplay point of view, you're really kind of like playing a similar arc, but one that's one that is, um, has better pacing, right? Like, because we can kind of choose how long we think the game should go, right? Like, it's no, it's no secret that, like, Civ drags, you know, like, once you get to the end, it's, it's, you know, Civ designers will tell you that the, the game, the game <laughs> drags, right? And, I uh, think when I did and, that, uh, that interview, everybody mentioned <laughs> that, that they would tr want yeah, to try sure. to solve that, that problem, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. And the thing yeah. is, they've, they've tried to they've tried to shorten it. But the thing is, you, if you shorten it too much, then suddenly people people complain of like, I, you know, I felt like knights just came and disappeared too quickly. Right. And like, you know, how do you do justice to all of history and still not have the game drag? I mean, it's just sort of an unsolvable problem. Right. Like it's it's a, it's a huge advantage they have and a huge disadvantage. And so we were able to look at the game and be like. Um, well, how long do we want this game to actually last, right? Like how, how long, you know, what, what is, what is the arc? And, you know, that sort of ties into the ambition system and like, you know, how do we want to, how we want to pace victory and, and so on. But we definitely feel like <laughs> you can finish a game of old world before it wears out. It's welcome. Um, and we feel like people are, are playing more games more frequently than, you know, like they're, they're ready to jump in right again. You know, it, it, you know, once, once they complete one, because they don't feel like it, it wore them out. Yeah, so uh, the game's been out in early access for a while, and uh, it seems like uh, you guys have, have done a lot of interacting with the community in that time. Is there anything in particular? I know you mentioned the multiplayer, you know, community sort of embracing characters, but anything that surprised you um, about the community reaction or like any piece of feedback that you ended up getting over the early access period? 
it was really like, oh, yeah, I hadn't hadn't really thought about that. But that's a good point. I mean, we never thought we'd end up having half the team hired from the community. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We never thought that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's true. A lot of the, a lot of, I like when you think about different, different like specific ideas or whatever. But yeah, that's the much more important point. Yeah. Is a lot of these people that were the the early voices uh, with us with Old World, giving us advice and like you know critiques and whatever. Now we're just part of the team. Um, and you know, the, the, the Greek, the Greek campaign, for example, is written by, um, the guy who goes by Solver online, um, his name's Daniels. Um, and he's actually someone I've, I've been in touch with since Civ three because he was part of the Apollo community way back, way back then, which, you know, predates even Civ fanatics. We have um, someone working on another DLC that we can't talk about yet also <laughs> comes from, from yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's uh, the pandemic kind of like opened up the possibility to I mean, it's dumb because the possibility was always there. It's just maybe we were in the wrong mind frame. But, um, you know, kind of going through the pandemic at the same time as early access was happening really made us feel like, you know, we really should, you know, expand our horizons and look out, you know, outside of not just our area, but the country to see who are the best people to, to work with to work with to, to make this stuff, um, because these are people who had pushed for modding you know, with Civ 3 and Civ 4 and really pushed us to do different things there. And so for them, this is like what they've always dreamed of, you know, that they're able to, you know, uh, you know, work on a work on a Forex game that's that's built to be expanded, you know, that that, you know, the event system gives them all the tools they need. Yeah. Um, so that's really fun. Yeah, we have Velocyrix, Chris, also from the community. Brody also was in the community. Um who wasn't in the community? Well, Benjamin and Ed are from ben the Ben is from the community. Yeah. Ed is so. from the community. I'm saying who isn't. Probably right. Amanda <laughs> from a different community. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of, of game design, I mean, there's a ton of... It's, it's so many little things. I mean, we're almost at our 90th update, I, I believe. You know, we we roughly did an update every, every week for through early access. I think we're now doing it every other week. Um, but... Um, I mean, what I really enjoy doing is, uh, <laughs> anytime I can see someone come up with a good suggestion that it can be, it can be something very small, but if I see something as a good suggestion on discord, I'll do my best to like implement it that day. <laughs> and then wow. they'll see it like the next week and they'll be like, I, I d- d- what happened? <laughs> Wasn't this That's actually a this, lot of fun? Did this always work like this? Am I doing crazy? And I'm like, yeah, you, you know, you wrote this and there it is. Now it's in the game. Um, so like we're essentially an, we're essentially like a live ops company without the all of the microtransaction garbage. This started like back <laughs> so. with Offworld Trading Company. I remember I remember us kind of like coming from work, I'd be streaming Offworld Trading Company and people would start saying, "Okay, well the solar panels are overpowered and you know, it's like always almost always better to build solar panels than windmills." And uh, and I'd be like, yeah, it's kind of right. Like I'd go in and just talk about it with Soren for a few days. And then, you know, he changes things so we could see, you know, what's what's happening. And then we play with it, with that new change and see, you know, OK, right. Even when we do like the patent labs and different patents are stronger than other patents. So everyone's going for certain patents over others. So it kind of started a while back. It started with awful trading yeah. company. I think one thing the community is good for is like pointing you to the way to like how to add 
variability to the game. So you're you're building a game that can be played for a thousand hours, right? Because I think that is it is obviously you know a, a challenge. But it's like you know you make you make a game, and you know we've got for example we've got the leaders, right? And like that that works pretty well. But there's just all these really simple things you could do. Like okay, what if you can randomize leaders? You know, what if you can randomize the families? Uh, what if you can pick your archetype after the game begins, right? Um, you know, just these these little things that 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 people ask for, where it's like, geez, I could implement this in like half a day, and it would you know unlock all of this all of this great new um, uh, play you know, you know replayability for for the player. When you so were what's some oh go ahead, John. Sure. When you were working on Old World, uh, what lessons did you bring forward from Off World Trading Company? Sure. Um, well, just as it's still in my mind, we definitely immediately did the thing where you could pick your nation after the game begins. Like, I still just love that feature from from Offworld. Like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, almost every I mean, I'm trying to think of other games have done this, but but, you know, most games, you just always pick who you're going to be before the game begins. And I feel like it's really great to do it the other way around, you know, let the game start and then, you know, decide, do I want to be the Romans this time or the Greeks or or whatever? Probably the balanced economy, too. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's we we have the we have the market from yeah. from from off world. I, I sometimes I'm afraid it feels like a like a like my my gimmick or something. Like I got to <laughs> stick a market in every game. I liked um, it. I like I got in there and I was like, okay, yeah, this is off world trading company. Awesome. <laughs> Right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you know, how some companies yeah. just have a thing that they kind of like always stick in their game. And, yeah. and the thing is, it actually it serves a really useful purpose uh, in old world because like it's a very it's a very small change, but it's a pretty big deal that like we have resources more similar to like RTS games than to most 4X games. Right. Where, you know, you have your stockpile of food and iron and wood and it didn't seem like a big change because we're so used to it in other games, but it, it it does have this kind of weird problem of like, oh, well, what happens if you just don't have, you don't have iron, right? Or you don't have wood or you don't have whatever, like that's, that could be really harsh if it's just like, well, now you can't build, you can't build spearmen. And well, geez, if I can't build spearmen, then that means that I have no counter to chariots or whatever, right? And like, okay, that's a huge problem. And it's like, okay, well, if we have the resource trading market, then there is always at least an option, right? Like it may not be feel great to have to buy wood and have the price keep going up, but at least the game doesn't just, you know, X number of options don't just completely get shut down if there, if there is no market. I think there's a third thing uh, with the... With the release of Awful Trading Company and uh, on early access, I think what this helped us do is um, understand feedback and filter through feedback um, with with experience. I think that also is a thing that we can read feedback today and know what can work and how um, and how how to read feedback better. Yeah, I think that's an additional thing. So one of the things one of the, one of the things I think we learned from from Offworld was that and this may sound you know paradoxical but the the team got kind of stressed out by monthly updates um because it kind of felt like you were we were always like every month we had to release a new game right because it's like okay we do a couple weeks of of development and then okay releases two weeks away so time to lock the build and let's let's start doing qa and we'll create a branch and anytime there's a a important bug fix fix will merge it over to the branch. And then suddenly now we have kind of like two different versions of the game we're developing. It's easy to forget things. And 
Like when you see a bug from the community, is it is it was that from this version of the game or from the previous version? It's 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 easy to forget. So we we figured that the solution to that is uh, just release an update every week that like the the solution that is more updates because essentially at that point if there's ever an issue you just be like well we'll just fix it next week right we don't have to worry it's not it's not that big of a deal and unless it's like actually game breaking um you know little bugs aren't aren't that important and and beyond that it keeps us really closely in sync with the community right like if they if they um if they're talking about something it's not something that we did four weeks ago. It's something that we did right now. They're playing the same game, the version, same version of the game that we're developing. So I'd say that's another thing we, we learned from Offworld. Yeah. So for somebody who, you know, maybe they jumped in at like the beginning of early access just to see what this was or at some point in the middle and decided they wanted to, you know, wait for for the full release. Um, what are they going to notice? It's different, you think, uh, you know, when they pick it up. Um, you know, in the in the uh, final version. Uh, I mean, if they haven't touched the game in a couple of years, I think they'll certainly notice that, um, you know, the UI has been kind of refined and improved significantly. Um, um, the event system. Yeah. Has improved. Uh, the um, I mean, the events, the events have just our, our writers yeah. have never stopped writing and we've picked up more more and more writers like we probably when we shipped early access we probably had something like 2000 events and we're going to we're going to we're going to get we're going to be closing in on 4000 events you know soon um and you know it's it's you know the, the one of the wonderful things about the event system is it doesn't i i'm always concerned about adding bloat to strategy games right that like once once the game you know theoretically <laughs> in the like a platonic pure world or whatever at some point you finish a game and it's done and it's like well now there's nothing more than should be there and if you add anything more to the game now it actually makes it worse right but that's not really the way the world that's definitely not the way <laughs> game development works nowadays um but there is still that pressure i think of you know you don't you don't want to just keep cramming stuff into your game but you obviously want to keep developing it you want to keep making the game richer and, and deeper and more interesting and events are a great way to do that because we could just theoretically add infinite events to the game and it just makes the the each experience more different as opposed as opposed to more complicated right um so i think that's a big plus yeah that actually segues really well into another question i had which is uh you know, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't be able to give us any specifics, but do you think Old World would lend itself to more of a Civ style big expansion that changes up the feature set in some way? Or are you are you pretty happy with like the level of feature saturation in the base game and you'd rather do other stuff? Well, we're going to see how people respond to uh, the Greek campaign, right? And the um, and you know, like how they enjoy that. I do think that, you know, old world is uniquely positioned to do campaigns and scenarios really well. So I hope people really enjoy that because if they do, that'll be a very clear path forward. Um, you know, we haven't, we have, we, I mean, we have, we have other stuff that we're developing right now that mm -hmm. we haven't talked about. So I, I'm like, you know, we probably shouldn't talk about too much, but there's, there's other stuff we can add to the game that doesn't necessarily add new new rules but this is this is this is definitely a, a topic of debate within the company like what what we should do to the game going forward I, I would say that we're definitely we're definitely going to be more conservative you know i think if you look at one end if you look at it as a spectrum right like paradox is way out on one end where you know they're just 
constantly like I, I to me i feel like their games sometimes suffer because they just keep throwing more and more stuff into them and it, it start you feel like at some point you're kind of drowning in new systems um and so i i think we're kind of we're you not going to do that before it's okay <laughs> <laughs> not naming never naming any names i mean just some some of them it's just like it's amazing i mean i don't like from a purely technical point of view i don't know how they pull it off because the amount of technical debt a game like that must like accumulate over time is just just seems crazy but but have you ever seen rate, a bowl um, of spaghetti right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes yeah exactly so we're we're really concerned about that and i i definitely think that we want to add new things to the game that you know make uh, I mean, this is, make the game more interesting well yeah i mean it's yeah. like that's kind of not a, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a super interesting thing to say but i'm trying to you know like well, the thing is i feel that because i know where you're going is um when we create something that's fundament fundamentally changing the game we'd rather make a new game and right. i think this is where we're headed we, we have ideas that are close to where old world is but kind of also very different. So we'd rather start a whole new project with that idea instead of just adding it and making old world very different from the right. way old world is. Yeah, there's some places we could take the game <laughs> where it's like, okay, what about it in this setting? Okay, at this point, now it feels like it's a different game. And we yeah. could take the old world engine and create a sort of a different type of game on top of it, right? Yeah. And that and that that to me is how I kind of would 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 go forward. Like at some point, there's some threshold you cross, and so we're kind of like cognizant of that. And uh, there is like a list of what ifs, but some of these what ifs would be would play better if the game is different. Yeah, it's interesting how this stuff works because I think there is a certain certain amount of just momentum of how people do things, and we're since. Old world is new and we're to some extent a new studio. We can kind of figure out this stuff as we go along, which is kind of where we are right now. Like you can tell, you know, the Paradox Studio is obviously have a very specific way of doing things. Fraxis also has a very specific way of doing things. I found the was the uh I always saw it as the NFP. I assume that stands for New Frontier Pass, is that right? Mm -hmm. Um yeah, that was a really interesting thing to watch because basically it felt like for Civ 6 the two expansions was kind of like the game just lurching forward in default mode, right? Like this is the way the game has always worked. Civ 3 came out, there were two expansions. Civ 4 came out, there were two expansions. Civ 5 came out, there were two expansions. Civ 6 came out, there were two, you know, it's just, it's just that's the way they do things. And so they're on this rail and they just go down that direction, whether that's the right, whether that's the best path for the game or not, right? And so NFP was interesting because that was like kind of the first times I saw them be like, be like okay, let's actually... Let's jump the tracks and kind of like think about what are other ways, what are other ways we can do, we can expand Civ because these games are these amazing palettes to do all sorts of things with, right? Like, um, and so it's, it's, you don't want to get too boxed in. Well, and that's, I think, part of the overall architecture of a lot of strategy games. They have this unique design challenge where, as we were talking about earlier, and as you brought up, um, when people design a, a shooter or a puzzle game, they're not necessarily trying to design a game that people will play for a thousand hours. Whereas, you know, there those those designers are happy if people want to play their game for a thousand hours, and maybe they're thrilled. In fact, if that's the game they end up with, but most strategy games, that's a goal from the start, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's intimidating. It's intimidating, honestly, you know, um, 
Yeah, I was just and it, uh, yeah. This this came up recently when we were talk, talking about Total War Warhammer <coughs> Three, and like, yeah, I played like a hundred hours of that and put it down. And like to me, that's fine. Like most games, I don't play that long. But there's like a vocal part of the community that's like, we want more stuff. Why? Why did you just release a single player campaign and that we can't play infinitely? And it's like I don't know. Like most games. I would play through the story once or twice and then be pretty happy with right. that. Like, yeah, so, just yeah. just go look at your Steam backlog, <laughs> folks. Come on. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's a certain subset of user that it just it becomes like their hobby. Right. Um, and, you know, for a lot of these games, like if you look on Steam Spire or whatever, you'll see this this weird like U-shaped curve for the like uh, average playtime. <laughs> yes. Right. Where you'll get like. Obviously, most people are on the like less than 20 hour side of the curve. But then on the weird other end, you'll get like a bunch of people who have played the game two, three, three thousand hours. And it's it's, you know, <laughs> those are those are definitely two different audiences. I got a I got a maybe a question for you, too. Sure. Um, and if we're if we're kind of near the end here, like I, one thing I think that's a little different, you know, about about old world is kind of the way it frames. Um victory and also the sort of like asymmetric asymmetrical uh basically game state you know that you know that that civ portrays itself almost kind of like a, a board game right like everyone starts in the same place um which you know we we sort of aggressively don't do right and then also you know kind of like preset theme victories have become kind of a, a very standard thing for for 4x type games of like oh there's your science victory and there's your cultural victory and your religious and, and whatever and i i kind of have felt like that's become a net negative which is why you know we went with kind of like the dynamic ambition system with the idea that like we wanted the chance for people to change their their path as the game as the game progresses and also just that you know you're not going to have control over which ambitions are given to you so you're kind of forced to play differently than you would normally so I'd be interested to hear if, you know, if you if you two had any uh, reactions uh, to that, you know, that type of situation or that the way the game played out that way. I'm always uh, interested in the difference between setting a victory condition from our position as observers of history or setting a victory condition from the position of the people inside the game. Um who lived in that that period of history and i think that old world mm -hmm. does a good job of having a way to win which is sort of an arbitrary outside you're sort of like your conquest victory which is ultimately very sort of gamest or your uh complete 10 ambitions uh victories those other two ways to win are ultimately a great compromise between the sort of arbitrary, you know, your science or culture victory or whatever, uh, versus what the people who live, what the actual characters in the game, which is great because it's such a character driven game would feel to be a win, right? Like I and my ancestors have accomplished everything we ever set out to do that. That's mm -hmm. a victory for those people. Even if ultimately like the Hittites, they become someone who is lost to history for 3,000 years. They probably felt like winners. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've always been 
um, definitely skewed. I think anyone who listens to this show knows I'm I'm skewed more towards the role play side of things. So you know I'm I'm the, I'm the sort of person that uh, someone can be come up to me and be like, uh, oh, oh, Len, are you okay? You look like you've been crying. And I'm like, oh yeah, I was just thinking about the Battle of Alessia. Um, so it's like <laughs> you know that the drama is such a huge part of it to me, and the stories you tell. Um, and obviously, you know, setting your own idea of what victory is, um, I think is preferable to me than than sort of the preset victories, but also just like to allowing you to tell a good story, even if it's a tragic story, even if it's a story that ends in defeat, which is something that I think a character driven game like Old World or like Crusader Kings really lends itself to where you can have this terrible run but you get sucked in by like the shakespearean uh you know melancholy of it yeah um and uh to the point where some of my favorite you know games are are ones that i remember are ones where everything went wrong and my great amazing you know leader you know who was virtuous and uh ruled justly just ended up like ned stark and uh you know that caused (laughs) a succession of, you know, sons and grandsons who all sucked and the kingdom fell apart. And uh, yeah, I love I love that kind of uh, the that uh, a strategy game that, that allows me to have those sort of stories is is one that I'm uh, very, uh, very satisfied with. Yeah, the, the part of Old World that drew me in very quickly to writing events um, was the historical stories that I can break into events and get like, you know, get them to be a link. Um, and, uh, the first story I remember I wanted to break and turn into small little events was the story of Olga of Kiev. And, uh, she's a woman whose husband was assassinated. And then she went on this vengeful trip to you know, to, um, kill all the people who are in charge, uh, uh, who were responsible for her husband's death. And it's fascinating. I'm not going to tell the whole story now because, you know, we are short on time. It's worth Googling. It's definitely worth Googling. Like we keep talking about like the, you know, like the, uh, battle of Thermopylae, you know, the, what the Spartans did, there's a movie made about it. And it's like, how is this not a thing? You need to make a movie about this woman you know, who was, they were trying to put her in her place and force her to marry someone else. And she went and, and conquered them with a child she's trying to protect. So it's kind of very interesting how history can move us in certain ways. And I don't know if at the end of it, you call what she did right or wrong or victory at all, but she was able to get herself out of that marriage. Yeah, actually, well, the, the, the thing you said about, you know, the the it's nice if victory can be determined by the characters like what do they think victory meant right yeah. and that, that ties into the ambition system that that um that's actually one of the bigger changes i'd say that that we kind of you know took you asked about how you know how the you know early access and open development changed this is one of the bigger ones which we're still kind of in the process of, of doing um you know ambition was a system that was in very early and it it was initially very gamey it is still kind of to some extent in that, you know, you kind of you get these three choices that come up and they come from up from your families. And that was like a nice innovation that was like, oh, let's let's have them theme based off of the families. So the families you choose determine kind of what kind of ambitions you get. But it still feels 
kind of like very much you know just a, a gamey part of, of of the experience and so we're in the process of trying to convert the game so the ambitions almost always come through the event system um and that's something we're doing slowly because it takes a lot of time to write all these these events um but hopefully that's something that people will notice is a big difference from, you know, if they picked up the game two years ago to now is as they play the game, they're going to feel like the ambitions are just these these natural things that come out of come out of the event system and these these choices they make and, you know, how they how they build their characters and and so on. Um, because, be yeah, interesting I think to have a statistic thing where we're asking players whether to them victory is black and white or just a combination of a lot of gray. Right. Does that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I was really. I really got weirded out by like the whole explosion of the success of Crusader Kings really weirded me out as a game designer, right? Because um, for, for, for a number of reasons, I mean, I was obviously inspired by it to, you know, invest in characters, but the, the fact that like people didn't seem to care whether they win or lose lost, like whether they, they won or lost was felt like it was in like this bizarro land that I didn't necessarily, I didn't know what to do that. Like, but I didn't know what to do with, because like I felt like that's actually a, a huge advantage Chris Harry Kings has that somehow people are bought into it enough that they they don't care about victory because as a Civ designer, victory is this huge thing hanging over the, the game and the player, right? And it's it's I, I don't think it's okay. I don't think in a traditional 4X game it's okay to just be kind of like, well, no one really cares about victory. There's some random number that goes up, but like you just play it for the experience. Like I think you still it still needs to function as a game. So that was one of the I think difficult kind of like needles we had to thread with old world of like how to how to have a game with like meaningful character stuff that can deviate in, in strange ways. Yet at some point it does still need to tie back to something where you feel like, okay, I either won the game or I lost the game. And like, that's, that's, that's the outcome. Right. All right. Well, uh, thanks to you both for uh, taking the time to sit down with us. Did, did either of you had any, have any like final thoughts about uh, the big release or the DLC that you think our, our audience would be interested in before we uh, wind town here? Um, I mean, it's just been, it's just been a great ride, you know, like, uh, um, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know if I'd ever go back to making a 4X game, you know, after so four, because I had, I did my, I had done my time in the, uh, the salt mines of 4X development. Uh, and, um, you know, fortunately I had, I got the, you know, I got a, a, you know, a chance to work on other stuff and, you know, make off world, which was a game that, you know, I'd, I'd want to make for a long, long time. This, and, this might be the last 4X you know, by, by Soren, because I know what he's going to be working on for the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it felt, it felt good to be able to like, you know, all of the, all of the arcane knowledge I've developed over the years of 4X to actually put it to good use because otherwise it was just, <laughs> it was just locked away in the recesses of my brain, not doing any good for humanity. So, you know, I hope, I hope we've, we've pushed the, we pushed the genre forward some with, with, with old world. You say that, but in, in 15 or 20 years, you're going to be like, you know, I got a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, and it's May 19th is the DLC and the Steam release, right? They're they're both coming yep. on the same day. Yep. Excellent. All the com- and I, I should add that uh, the uh, the DLC is actually free for the first two weeks. So yeah. if you there own you the go. game before on Epic, you get it for free. Uh, and anyone who buys the game during those first the two weeks after May 19th will get the DLC for free. So if you're if you're interested in it, like it definitely be a very good time to buy. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it's been 
been several months since I really got into a campaign, so I'm looking forward to diving back in as well. Uh, yeah, uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can go check out uh, the discussion on the forums over there at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. Uh, we're also supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. Um, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash 3MA uh, for as little as a dollar. If you just you know feel like you got $1 worth of uh, entertainment out of 3MA this month, We'd, uh, we'd appreciate even even those small contributions allow us to uh, keep doing what we're doing. Um, we are also on Twitter where we are at 3MA, where you can uh, come, I don't know, yell at us, tell give us show ideas, whatever. Uh, try to be nice, I guess. Uh, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, so for Layla and for Soren and for John, this is Len saying goodnight. All right.